here we go spring of 22 this is the 1080 outdoors podcast land management series where our main focus is pursuing the truth for everyday hunters like you I wouldn't say it's kind of an FU, it's definitely an FU. Chronicle and document how our season's going and give you real-time updates, overall land management practices. You have to find a way to hunt big buck where they are. Welcome to the 1080 Outdoors Podcast, episode number 119. Get into the blank canvas as number four of the top considerations when buying hunting land. I'll also give you an update on what's happening on my farm and I guess I'll probably just go into some individual rants because it's only me. I'm your host Taylor Henry. Um, It is the end of January and we've had a a while since um, we released an episode because because we missed a week and then I had a the vid. I had COVID. It got me good. I was out for like literally out, did nothing for two weeks. Um, don't really need to get into that many details on it. I think my biggest takeaway from it was, is it's, uh, it can pack a punch. I think we, ha- I got the, uh, old Delta strain, so I didn't get lucky and get arm recon. But because of that, once I was able to get in and get a monoclonal antibody treatment, it pretty much did the trick. Um, The most difficult part was getting that treatment, getting accepted for it or approved for it whatever. And I don't know. It was weird. We're we're living in a weird time. Um, But I'm all right. Getting back to normal. Couldn't. I mean, it was, my brain was so broken that I couldn't even fathom talking about the podcast, not to mention I couldn't get together with everybody. And, uh, anyways, so we're moving on and I'm doing all right. I finally got my energy back and was able to, to go for a walk yesterday. Unfortunately, essentially lost three weeks, you know, here in January, the last three weeks that hunting season's open. Um, on our place, the deer are starting to, to hit the beans hard. You know, all the shooters are, have daylighted at different times over the last three weeks. We've had some, some really, January was just cold. I think, um, we haven't gotten like that much snow yet. I think this time last year we had a little more snow and and in February last year we had a lot of snow and, and got hit with a cold stretch. I'm hoping that we don't get that this year I'm hoping that we can get through February um not deal with any more cold 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 like we have been and we can kind of ease into March and April with a mild winter behind us um but January has kind of sucked it's been I, I think it's been cold I think it's been not that it's snowed a ton but it's just been consistently cold and I think last January we had a little bit more mild and February ended up being tough, so I'm hoping we're through the worst of it. You know, that extended forecast, we got some days in the 30s coming up, and I think, let's pray, we're going to get into turkey season here soon. Um, on today's episode, we're just kind of still covering the real estate side of stuff. Um, that's 
really what I'm focusing most of my energy on this winter and still doing some on-site consults with people, helping them get their hunting properties ready for the upcoming year. And we still have some, some space to schedule a couple more of them in March. If you're interested, all we're charging is 300 bucks this year and we come on the farm unless you're you know over 50 miles away from us then we do a, a mileage charge or we can we can do online too so um, just getting on the phone and, and talking through some practices talking through some plans with people seems to help them a lot so we're still doing that those are still available um the topic i think i think the first thing i want to cover is some of the it's like some of the conversations i've been having recently with people thinking about buying land um you know we've covered financing we've covered some of the tax benefits but i don't think we've covered the mindset that it needs that needs to take place so i think a lot of people struggle with how they how they're going to pay for land and the process in which to even acquire that land but i think the first thing we have to do is figure out i mean you got to be passionate about it you have to sit back and think, am I a person who wants to buy land or am I a person who not does not want to buy land? And I think everybody who's listening to this podcast should be someone who buys land because it is one of the most important assets that we have. You don't make any more of it. And once you have it, you have control over it and you can do a lot of different things with it. You know, we're true, true caretakers of land and Hunting is just a piece of that, and I think everyone knows here I've gotten into farming, and it's been it's been like the mo- one of the most rewarding experiences. I mean, it's blown past my interest or my obsession with hunting. It really has, like using animals and using farm animals to to manage the land and just interacting with with animals on a daily basis. You know, I look at cattle very similar to deer just how they act their ruminants they they do a lot of the same things and it's it's it fits my personality because i'm such a as jed would say control freak and i like to know i like to be able to predict things and unfortunately deer are just unpredictable in in most ways cattle aren't livestock isn't the managing of land isn't you know it's it's consistent effort that takes place, but it's like the most rewarding thing ever. Not to mention the way that we raise everything. You know, I, I truly think that we're providing some of the best quality meat, some of the best quality food for our family and then for tons of family. I mean, we fed, I think the last number was we were up, we served over 50 families last year um, just on our small farm. And it really, you know, it's work. And I guess if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to probably get too much into it because it is time consuming, but I don't really consider it work. The, the time I spend doing that stuff is, is, would be the same as, you know, if, if your hobby was going home at night and cracking a beer and sitting down in front of a TV, you know, or whatever you do in the morning, just wake up an hour earlier and I get up and go out and hang out with animals, watch the sunrise, drink some coffee you know, it's, it does more, you know, I, I truly believe the the ownership of land is an actual business model that can be successful. You know, we have to do it differently than our ancestors did, but what it does, you know, 
above and beyond being a, such a stable asset class to 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 put money into i mean it does some things to you to you it does some things to your soul and not to sound weird or foo-foo or whatever but it changes you as a person to interact with land to to heal it to bring it back to a similar place to what it what it had been and it's enjoyable and i think you know if you're listening to this and most likely you're going to enjoy stuff like that too it's it's addicting so i think i mean that's how we're going to steer this podcast for the rest of the winter as i want people to feel comfortable with the process of buying land whether it's this year or next year you know down the road and i really would push on people that it should be a goal of yours if you're putting money into a stock market why the hell would you not be putting money into land seriously you have to there's things you have to get your brain to accept that it's not far off it's much more stable maybe you don't get lucky and and get a you know an apple return over the last 20 years but you're going to do pretty dang well and there's less chance of you losing you know than any other stock that you can put in and not to mention the amount of enjoyment that you, your family, whatever. It's you, you can't put a price tag on that. But we can go down the road. We can, I can go down and make the argument as far as money-wise, how it's a smart asset to put your money into and how it outperforms most markets. We can go down that road. And that's the, that road doesn't include the emotional stuff it does for you. The thing it does for your brain, the thing it does for your body, what it does for your kids when you're when you're raising them you can't put a price tag on that shit you can't you cannot it's just not possible so we've gone over <clears throat> access which is obviously you know one of the most important things when we're talking about hunting land topography you know a lot to do with access the big three food cover and water we broke up the series a little bit and went over into tax tax stuff with gabe which I think people got a lot out of. And uh, today we're going to go over blank canvas. After that's timber value, and then we have some bonus items. And um, last but not least, the neighborhood. And I might put the neighborhood in at 6 and change bonus items to last. Um, it seems to make more sense. Okay, so blank canvas. You know, I look at a blank canvas, and it can be a open ag field. It can be a timber structure. It can be like a timber series of ditches or, you know, side hills or ridges or, you know, the whole property is a blank canvas. I think when we talk about blank canvas, when you're thinking about buying it, is can you envision the goal? Can you do enough with the property to make it into a hunting property that you're going to have success with? or into a property that you can accomplish your goals with. So for me, you know, when we look at properties now, we're looking at a blank canvas. Is there, would a, you know, every property I buy now is the idea of, of putting animals on it, structures on it, um, ways to pay for the land first, and then hunting comes second. Um, you know, a lot of people on here might, hunting might come first and whatever comes second. So I look at is there any existing infrastructure what it would take to put existing infrastructure in fencing water buildings electricity um and then how that would work with hunting so it's 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 hard to find properties that 
I guess it's it's mainly hard for people to wrap their head around um, properties that can be used for both things. I have found that you know installing the agricultural system as the Blake Cavus around the hunting portion. You know we still use the hunting portion in off seasons for agriculture. Like our cattle still graze that ground, so it's not a complete you know non-revenue producing area. But the fencing, the way we plant things. Those deer, it's almost like they're more predictable when you put more structured items up. And it doesn't slow their movement down. Cattle, you know, before we got these last four or five inches of snow, the cattle were grazing right alongside the deer. So they were grazing down in a paddock that was the furthest section of the fenced-in area, you know, before before the... uh, uh, kind of like whatever call it deer hunting area and uh they're grazing right alongside each other i was getting tactile pictures of deer out daylighting good bucks and i know the i knew the cattle were down there at that time and they were you know less than 50 yards from each other but the cattle work right along the fences or i'm sorry the deer work right along the fence lines and all their movement is, you know, I've, we've created some pinch points just by having fence corners, open gates in the fences, you know, changing some of the ways that are beneficial, changing, changing some of the structure of the property that's beneficial for agriculture. And it's actually working out really well for deer. And that's exciting because it just shows like you give deer food and you give deer structure, they're going to follow it. And really, you know, the agriculture practice around it doesn't hurt it as long as you're making making space for each thing, right? So, like, we're planting food plots. They're hammering the beans and the cover crops right now. They're digging down. You know, I'd say they're they're still, it looks like, they haven't gotten, they haven't done to the bean fields where they, like, attack it and strip everything um, in, like, a week. They have not done that. They seem to be digging down into, you know, the turnips, radishes, brassicas, clover, cover crops still. I mean, they're obviously eating some beans, but the beans aren't all stripped yet. They're still, we still have standing beans, and there is a ton of action in there. Last year, the same thing kind of happened. I didn't have as many cameras and, and didn't have, uh, you know, the surveillance on these areas like I do this year, but... They, they ended up just wiping, like they would hit, they would go field to field. And maybe they'll do it in February here where it get, when it gets, you know, prolonged essentially the winter. But they would, once they committed to a field, those beans were gone. And it took about three, four days. And maybe that was because that was when the snow got deep enough where those cover crops, they just couldn't get down to them anymore. It just got too difficult for them. Because you think about it right now, those beans are still still popped out above the snow and uh they're still able to dig down and you know i did a walk out there yesterday and you can see the places that they're digging down into are uh they're reaching for the turnips radishes and and green they're still green you know and it's the the rye grass in there and the the cereal rye and um some of the clover still green i i if you don't know <laughs> If you don't believe in the power of cover crops, it's, it's right here. It's right now. I mean, we have multiple smorgasbords, not just beans in these fields, because it shows they don't just want those beans. Like when they're on the beans and they're on the corn, yes, it's 
however long it lasts, it's it's about clock. It, it's damn near clockwork how consistent they are. But they're out there every night now grazing because there's the green that's still in there. And there's green nowhere else that they're getting, most likely. You know, there might be some alfalfa fields and... You know, they don't close some clover fields that they're digging down into, but I think they're going after those radish and turnips more, and I think they're going after the ryegrass more. Um, that's what it just seems to me. And I, I walked through both bean fields yesterday to kind of see what seemed to be picking through, and they're obviously hitting some beans, but like I said, they, they aren't, haven't been wiped out yet, which is surprising because we only have two acres of standing beans. So if you think about it, you know, it's not that much, and – it's it's received a lot of pressure and i i know for a fact a lot of that pressure is getting cushioned by those cover crops too and it's i kind of i don't want to get too far off on a tangent here about soybeans but soybeans standing alone are great but all these other plants grow with them these soybeans are are beautiful and I, I was able to plant about six other species of, of brassicas, turnips, radishes, clovers, ryegrass underneath it, and it grew. And they're eating both things. So I'm saving, I'm prolonging the, the, the access to these fields. I mean, it's it's awesome. If it was just a bean field, it'd been wi- if, it, if it was wiped out, it would be wiped out and they'd be moved on. But the fact that there's multiple things in their diversity in there for them to eat, they continue coming back. I mean, we're on a solid six weeks eight weeks of them hitting these two these two acres and it's there it's still plenty of food out there for them and i would have had multiple chances if i had not been sick and if my blinds hadn't blown over and if i just wanted to hunt in january um to kill some of these mature bucks you know part of me is like god damn it you get through gun season you get through bow season and these these bucks are still here and really, you're probably the only person that's hunting them still. Do you really want to take one this year that's already damn near? You know, there's never a guarantee they're making it to next year, and there's no guarantee they're making it through the summer or whatever, but we got through the hardest part, and there's four or five of them. I don't know. I was texting with Jeffrey last night, and I was like, it sure is going to be fun to hunt these these bucks in another year. They're all going to be big. There, there's a lot of nice ones right now. So getting back to the blank canvas, like what do you envision? What do you see with the property? Why are you buying it? You know, I love big open ag fields, maybe CRP fields, because it truly is a blank canvas. You can do whatever you want. You can plant trees. You can install terraces. You can, um, you know, make little pockets of food plots. You can rent some of it out to make some money, whatever it looks like. Um, having a place that is flexible and with multiple things that you can do. Now, I'd argue, say you had like a 30-acre chunk of just timber on a side hill. Is that a blank canvas? Well, what do you want to try to do with it? You know, maybe it's not a blank canvas for planting trees or planting food plots, but it's a blank canvas for creating structure. You know, is it... Is there already really installed type trail systems in it that maybe aren't beneficial? Or is it just a 30-acre chunk of woods that you can come in and log, you can install your own trail systems, and a lot of that has to do with the way you want to access stands, the way you want to get out of stands, 
the way you want to set stands up. These, these, these deer aren't difficult to figure out. If you give them a route, they will follow it. And granted, you know, you, you can go down the road of will a mature buck follow and when will it, when will it follow it? I don't know. I know if you put trails in for them, they follow them. And I know mature bucks take those trails. You just got to be at the right place at the right time. A lot of that comes in handy when you figure your access out and figure your exit out. How are you going to get there? How are you going to get out of there? What's going to happen when you sit there? Where's your wind blowing? I look for blank canvases. There's a lot of people who look for turnkey type properties. But turnkey properties, as beautiful as they are, who set them up? Not me. Not this control freak. I don't know if I don't really like them that much. There's a lot of people who do a lot of weird things when it comes to hunting that don't make a lot of sense. And you put a big logging road in the middle of a hillside, and it doesn't really fit with your plan on how to get in and get out of stands. That thing is a problem. Especially if you got a big logging road, someone comes in and logs, you got a bunch of treetops running around, you don't have a bunch of place, ways to get in and out. That's a problem. Open field, blank canvas, plant some trees, plant some screen. Put some food plots in some advantageous places for your wind while you sit on that food plot. For your visual approach to that food plot. For your exit from that food plot. You know, now we're talking about blank canvas. Using the topography, using the current structure, planting structure, and how we get in and how we get out. It all comes down to that. I talked to a client the other day was looking at a piece of property in Crawford. He didn't like the he didn't like the predominant way that you had to get in to access the property. Didn't feel like the wind was set up right for the property. Completely ended the search for him. That property was done. And you know, <clears throat> most realtors, well all realtors, don't aren't gonna price a hunting property based on these factors. You're gonna price it on the current market trend, how many how many how much per acre. So there's there's never a there's no hunting property created equal. There just isn't. Because give me an eighty acre piece that has a bottleneck for access. You know, the open ag field isn't it's alright, but it's it's you know, it's maybe it's in the back portion of it or it's op it's part of that bottleneck or something and it just it's not really a blank canvas because there's not much you can do with it and then the woods is, you know, that eight acres is still going to get priced out. 20 acres for open egg, boom, whatever that is per acre. You know, 60 acres of timber, boom, whatever that is per acre. Nobody's pricing anything for the access. Nobody's pricing anything for the blank canvas. That comes from you, the person who's buying it. And hopefully the realtor that's helping you buy it, which should be me. Because, unfortunately, speaking with or working with a lot of people now in real estate, I mean, it's the whole reason why I became a realtor. It, it it's hard to get this language. It's hard to understand how, <laughs> I don't know. I shouldn't say stuff like that. It, I'm just saying it, it's, there isn't that many people who can speak the language or understand what's, what's really going on. And, uh, it's important for people to get that, especially if you don't feel that comfortable. Maybe, you know, not everybody sees things the way I see things and that's fine. That, that's why I do what I do and help people figure some of these things out and put the puzzle pieces together because I couldn't figure it out for a while I couldn't see things it took me to talk to a lot of other people it took me to take other people's perspectives to put the pieces together and you know I also have a life where I can 
put a ton of ton of time into this. If you got a full time job and you got kids and a wife and maybe maybe a guy only spends thirty minutes a week thinking about this stuff. Well, I spend like thirty hours a week thinking about this stuff. This is what I do. And to help people go from a blank canvas and and explain to them why certain pieces are better than others for what their specific goals are. That's where I get a lot of the joy from. I get a lot of joy from that. Say, hey, what do you want out of a hunting property? And let's go find it. Let's go get it. Here's, you know, and as we look through the properties, here's some of the positives about it. You know, you got you got some ag field access. You're kind of exposed. Maybe you could plant some trees here. Maybe you could plant some, some uh, um, you know, structure here to cover your access. You know, hey, I don't really like how, you know, you have a, you're hunting, you're hunting, uh, it's it, you know, an east hillside and, you know, predominant, or maybe it's a west-facing hillside, a predominant winds west, and it's, I'm like, I just don't think you're going to get much bedding here during the hunting season. You know, I, I, I like those, those east, those southeast hillsides, those south-facing hill hillsides, and get that northwest predominant wind and get the bedding areas in there, you know, set up for that and make sure you can put food sources in places that can, where that west wind isn't going to nail you. It's not where they're coming from. You know, is there, uh, you know, what, if there's an old cistern on the property, like, what are we going to do about that? What is that even? You know, a lot of these things is what I had to just learn through the hard way of buying my own properties. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't get a lot of help from realtors because they didn't even know what I was <laughs> wanting to do. And yeah, I had to kind of go through it and figure it out and research it and find out myself. And then now going through tons of a lot of these transactions and constantly, you know, every transaction is something new. So having someone on your side that can help you through those processes. But blank canvas, number four on the list. I think it's uh, it's an important thing to be able to create the vision you have for the property. And there are situations where you can't always do that with certain properties. And so consider your vision. Consider that. You know, there's, there's a couple of big things. Talking to people this week uh, looking to buy land, and they hadn't even considered a bank. Considered how they were going to pay for it. I was like, come on. You can't have to pay for it. Go talk to your bank. Figure out what your financing is going to be. And then let's get going. All right. And then and then the next question is, what's your vision? What's the can? What's the blank canvas we need to look for? You want open egg fields? You want a house on it? You know, you want fencing on there? You want some woods? What do you want? And then we go. And then we start hunting. And it's 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 balls to the wall. When you're ready to roll, we go. Find places because it's competitive. And there isn't a ton of them. And they aren't getting any cheaper. They just aren't. You're sitting back twiddling your thumbs saying, I'm going to wait for the market to go down. The market does not go down on land. It doesn't. You gotta, <laughs> the best time to buy it was yesterday. It just was. So get the finances in order. Get your idea down, what you want, what you envision, You know what you're going to do with it. Let's go to work. Let's go get it. Because the more people like you who own land, the better off our lands are going to be in the future. They just are. You got people coming in, you know, big corporations, buying up farmland, putting in soy and corn. We're better than that. 
We're better than that. Hunters are better than that. We can do a lot more with land. Feed your family. You can feed your neighbors. Kill giant bucks. Bring the land back. Save that resource. The only time land's going to have an issue is when we start figuring out that the natural resource has been depleted to a point that there's no return. There's no topsoil left. We've injected so much chemicals into our soil and so much chemical we can't even grow shit in 30 years. So what's, what do you think is going to happen in 30 years when we have certain pieces of property who never took the pedal off, who kept injecting chemicals, who kept fertilizing, kept spraying, kept tilling, kept taking that layer of topsoil off every single year? It, it's, it's not, it's not going to last forever. So the properties that we buy and we do proper practices in, we're building topsoil, we're building organic matter, we're letting that thing go back to nature and let nature work with us to accomplish our goals. Those properties are going to be worth a lot of fucking money. Especially when you're looking at the comparisons. So let's go get some land. Let's do it. And we're going to continue this podcast on. We have a couple more on this series. I'm hoping to get a couple guests going here down the road. And, uh, you know, we're coming into February. we got a month or two left, and we're going to get into turkey hunting. So, hope everyone's doing well. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.